Now, if you were here uh, last Sunday evening, you remember how we uh, introduced this letter to Titus, or should say how Paul introduces his letter to Titus, how he emphasizes that he uh, was an apostle and he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And uh, because of these facts, he was under an obligation to complete a mission given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ to share the gospel and to proclaim it uh, across the world. And Paul felt very strongly this mission that had been laid upon him. But as we said last week, he was approaching now the end of his life. Uh, but he knew the mission still remained active. Uh, he was approaching the end of his life, but he still had the mission, or the mission still needed to be accomplished. So he, he writes this letter to Titus, who was one of his fellow travellers on uh, at least one of his missionary journeys. And he writes to Titus, who he has left behind in Crete, and he encourages him to continue the mission, to plant churches, to continue to preach the gospel. And in verse 5, he says to Titus, choose in the churches, choose uh, wise men, good men, who will be leaders in the churches. And that is Paul's first command, first instruction to Titus, is choose good men to be leaders in the churches. And by putting that in first place in this letter, Paul is teaching us also that it is essential for the good of the gospel and for the success of the mission that churches are led by men of good character. That is really the theme of verses 5 to 9. Churches must be led by men of good character. Uh, that's what I would like to just delve into a little bit more this evening and see what we can learn from verses 5 to 9 about why that's the case and what it means to be someone of good character. So we've said, Paul teaches us it's essential that churches are led by men of good character. And you'll notice, first of all, that it says men, not women. Men of good character. And I'm afraid there's no getting around the Greek in this passage. When uh, Paul says men here, he means men as opposed to women. Now, you don't need me to tell you that's a very unpopular teaching today. Uh, it's very politically incorrect. But it's important to understand that the reason... Paul says that churches need to be led by men is not because men are better than women. That is nowhere taught in the Bible. Men and women are equal. They are of precisely equal value in the sight of God. 
But the Bible does teach that God has given the role of leadership to men. Uh, If you want one of the clearest examples, Jesus uh, chose 12 apostles, uh, 12 people who would be the authoritative leaders of the early church. And he chose 12 men. Not a single woman was amongst them. There were many women he could have chosen. He knew Mary. He knew Martha. Uh, There's a whole list in Luke's Gospel of the women who followed Christ. Uh, You'll know, of course, that it was women who first uh, discovered that Christ had risen from the dead. There were many witnesses of Christ's resurrection who were women. Nevertheless, Jesus chose 12 men because God has given the role of leadership to men. Now, the reason that is so unpopular today is because, sadly, uh, the world, the world around us, thinks that leaders are better than followers. The world around us thinks that it's better to lead than it is to follow. But the Bible doesn't teach that. There's nothing inherently better about leading. In fact, you could say that the Bible actually says that in many ways it is uh, less desirable to lead because those who lead will come under greater judgment because they have more responsibility. Problem is that our society thinks that to be number one, to be in first place, to be the leader is the most desirable thing because people love power. People love influence. People love authority. And yet that's not the way the Bible thinks. The strong are not better than the weak, those who lead are not better than those who follow. They're just simply different roles, and that is all they are. Uh, So let me encourage all of us this evening, don't mould yourself into the world's mould. Don't think like the world thinks. Don't think that it is inherently better to be a leader. Uh, Do not think that those who uh, seem to have the greater influence... Don't mistake that as meaning they are somehow better. Uh, That's the way the world thinks. It's not the way God thinks. Uh, If you want any evidence of that, um, we're told that God the Son is um, sent by God the Father. Uh, God the Son willingly submitted himself to his Father. Yet, God the Father and God the Son are completely equal in every way. Um, Jesus is not less than his Father. Nevertheless, he willingly submitted himself to his Father's authority. And if Jesus can do that, if Jesus can do that without losing any of his divinity, any of his godness then none of us should be ashamed to follow um, rather than to lead. Jesus wasn't ashamed to, and we shouldn't be either. Uh, 
So we see Paul says that men are to lead the church. But notice he also says men, not a man. Um, Paul doesn't say to Titus, choose for every church one man who will be the kingpin who will lead that church. It says he says, appoint elders, verse 5, in every city. Appoint elders in every city. Uh, I'll just say now while I uh, see it. In verse 7, you might notice um, the translation there, depending on which Bible you have. Uh, it says, for a bishop must be blameless. And uh, may I just say that that, un- that translation is not the most helpful translation there is. Because when you think of bishop, what do you think of? Well, you think of a man in a cathedral somewhere with a big pointy hat. That's what I think of when I think of a bishop. But that's not what Paul means in verse 7. Uh, a bishop, the word translated bishop here, simply means uh, essentially a leader. Uh, someone who is uh, serving, in fact, the church where they are. Uh, so sort of remove the ideas of sort of Anglican bishops with their, or Catholic bishops that matter, with their pointy hats. That's not what Paul is referring to. When he's speaking of elders, when he's speaking of bishop, he's talking about men who will lead in the church. And he says, choose several. Don't just choose one. And the reason for that is very simple. Uh, I'm sure you've all um, heard the very well-known saying, which is almost a cliche now, uh, which goes, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it's very dangerous when any one individual is given even just a little bit of power. Um, So often, and there's example after example after example throughout history of when uh, a man or a woman, for that matter, has seized power or has, for all the best motives in the world, sought to lead and govern And that has turned their heart and they have succumbed to the lust for more power. Uh, We all think it will never happen to us. Uh, We all think we're different. But too often, uh, it's happened too often in history to ignore the fact that if you give authority to one person without any checks, without any balances, then it will be disastrous in the end. Uh, Power, however small, is dangerous, and it is wise to share it. Uh, It's a dangerous burden to um, place on any one person's shoulder. Uh, Sadly, sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes in uh, extremists, in particular situations, that is what has to happen. But it's certainly not ideal. And for that reason, Paul says that... Titus should appoint elders in every city. Uh, Men, good men who can hold each other accountable so that nobody seeks to seize power for themselves alone. And thirdly, we said that Paul says it's essential that churches be led by men of good character. Paul doesn't just say anyone will do, just pick any man and he is equipped to lead. 
No, Paul in verses 6 to 9 makes absolutely clear that it must be a man, must be men of good character. And the reason for this is because when influence and authority is abused, it's always devastating. Again, you don't need me to tell you of all the stories where you hear of teachers or you hear of um, uh, bosses in the workplace uh, or you hear of, of anyone in a position of authority. When they've abused that authority, they leave in their wake devastation in people's lives. Um, abused authority is one of the worst things you can experience in life. And so Paul says to Titus, choose good men, choose men of good character, and you will save uh, yourself misery in the future. Uh, The same uh, principle applies not just in churches, but also in relationships. Um, When a man or woman is seeking to choose a spouse, uh, so often uh, the man or that woman choose a spouse based on superficial things, uh, what they look like, uh, their status, their bank balance, and yet they forget their character. Then they wonder why there's disaster coming for them down the tracks. Uh, Women who marry men for their money or status, they wonder once they've married him why he's a monster. Uh, Or men who marry women for their looks and then marry them and wonder why they are a monster. The reality is, what's most important is character. Get character right, and the other things are put into their proper place. And again, sadly, that can happen in churches, that churches choose men to lead who are full of charisma, uh, full of human ability, Uh, They perhaps have uh, great eloquence in speaking and they're pushed to the front, they're pushed to leadership, but they don't have the character underneath. And again, disaster often happens as a result. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, famous uh, pastor and preacher of, must be in the last century, I think, uh, he wrote to uh, a young minister called Dan Edwards, um, just, uh, so he wasn't a minister, he was a missionary Um, somewhere or other and after his sending out as a missionary Robert Murray McShane wrote him a letter and in that letter he wrote these words he said in great measure according to the purity and perfections of the instruments will be the success it is not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus a holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God And when he says awful there, he means it in a good way, not a bad way. And he's saying that that's what God wants first and foremost, a pure instrument, a holy instrument. Regardless of his talents, regardless of his abilities, they may be used, they may be useful in their place. But what matters most is their holiness, their good character. And that's what Paul focuses on for the rest of this passage. Uh, He instructs Titus to choose men to lead the churches and to choose men of good character. 
And what I want to do with the rest of our time is just look at uh, four ways in which Paul, uh, or four things which Paul tells Titus to look for. You'll notice that there's quite a long list which Paul gives uh, of what a man of good character looks like. Um, and it would be too long for me to go through every last word. So I've grouped them into four categories, which hopefully will be helpful to us. Uh, so Paul describes what a man of good character looks like. And the first thing he says is that a man of good character will have his family in order. Uh, his family, such as it is, will be in order. Look at verse 6. Paul writes, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of disobation or insubordination. Paul says there will be the husband of one wife. <laughs> they won't have many wives. They won't be uh, an adulterer. They won't be a fornicator. They will be faithful men. He says not only that, they will have faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. And now this verse has um, provoked a certain amount of de uh, debate over the years uh, in people trying to understand what it means. And the argument basically falls into two camps. Um, one set of interpreters say that what Paul means here is that if a man does not have children who are also believers, then they are disqualified from being leaders, being elders in the church. Um, that that's the bar which God sets for leaders, that their children must be believers also. Uh, the other camp says that Paul is not necessarily saying they must be believers, but they must be uh, respectable people. Their children must be um, respectable um, children who aren't openly rebellious and um, people in the society who have a bad reputation. And for what it's worth, I lean towards the second of those two interpretations. And uh, the reason for that is simply because uh, what would you do in a situation, for example when you have a pastor, an elder, a leader, who, say, has four children, and three of them are believers, and one of them is not. Well, how do you pick? Do you split the difference and say, well, three out of four is not bad? Do you, do you choose it that way? Uh, it gets very difficult. Uh, but an even bigger reason is because if you think in that way, what you're implying is that if someone is not walking with the Lord... If they are not a believer, then the fault lies with the parents. But of course, that's not true. We all stand before God uh, as individuals. Uh, you can't blame your parent for your own lack of belief. Uh, and that would be the implication of saying that someone is disqualified from being a leader simply because their child is not a believer. Uh, instead, uh, I believe what Paul is teaching is that a person who wants to be an elder, or who's being considered to be an elder, a leader in the church, 
must have children who are respectful, children who are not insubordinate. They are decent and good members of society. They have been raised well. Uh, they have been brought up, not dragged up. And the principle behind that is very simple. And it's made clear in Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, how can a man look after the church if he cannot even look after his own family? Uh, if, his own fa- if his own family do not listen to him and do not follow him and do not respect him, then how can he expect a church to do the same? That's the principle that Paul is teaching. Uh, if you want someone to look after your garden, uh, it's a good policy to look at their garden. And if their garden is in a state and with weeds and whatnot, and uh, their garden's not looked after, then they're probably not the best person to look after your garden. And the same principle here, if a man hasn't got his own family in order, then how can he be expected to lead the church of God? So Paul says, uh, a man who is being considered to be an elder, a leader, he must have his family, such as it is, in order. But he moves on, and he describes more of what it means to be a man of good character. And he says, secondly, that their emotions should be in order. Look at verse 7. He says, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Paul says that an elder should not be quick-tempered. They shouldn't be violent. They shouldn't, at moment's notice, go off the handle. Uh, he needs to be able to have a control of himself. Uh, it was once said there was a man or a person who went to their pastor and uh, they were discussing this man's uh, or this person's quick temper. And the person tried to excuse it. And they said, well, there's nothing wrong with me losing my temper. Uh, I blow up, but then it's all over. It's done. It's finished. Well, then the pastor replied and says, well, so does a shotgun. And look at the damage it leaves behind. See, it's not enough to say, oh, it just blows up and then it's gone. Because it's precisely that which causes damage. But it's not just anger. It's not just in that area where a leader must be in control of himself. Did you notice what it says? It says uh, he must be uh, not given to wine, not greedy for money. Uh, He should have a control of himself so he's not enslaved to either or any of these things. Because the principle is the same. Uh, If he cannot govern his own body, if he cannot govern his own appetites then how can he be expected to govern a church or lead a church? Uh, I was told that uh, during his term as president uh, of the US, Lyndon Johnson apparently was somewhat overweight. I do not know to what extent. Uh, But one day his wife challenged him with this blunt assertion. And she said to him, you can't run the country if you can't run yourself. Uh, Respecting his Wife's wise observation, the president lost 23 pounds, apparently. I don't know if that story is true or not, but it makes the point. 
And that's the principle that Paul is giving here. Uh, An elder should have his uh, emotions in order. He should have a control of himself, or else how can he hope to lead a church? That's the second way that a man uh, demonstrates good character. Uh, Let's keep going. Let's move on to the third way. And this is similar to the second, but not exactly the same. Uh, He should have uh, his family in order. He should have his emotions in order. But he also should have his desires in order. Uh, Look at verse 8. It says, He should be hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self Controlled. Uh, Paul says he needs to be a lover of what is good. Uh, Ultimately, he should be a lover of God, who is the greatest good. And this stands in sharp contrast to the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Uh, You remember the Pharisees who were the leaders in Israel when Jesus walked on this earth. But many a time, Jesus rebuked them for their failure to serve rightly. Uh, Look what Jesus said to them in John chapter 12, verse 43. Uh, He said of them that you love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They loved to have the people praise them more than they loved the praise of God himself. And look again at John 5, verse 44. Jesus said to them, How can you believe who receive honour from one another and do not seek the honour that comes from the only God? Uh, You see, they lapped up the adulation of those around them. Uh, They loved the crowds who would listen to them. They loved the people who would hang on their every word. They loved the praise that they would hear from the people who they led. And that's what motivated them more than a love for God. Sadly, that is uh, still prevalent today. Uh, People who want to lead because they like the adulation they get as a result. They like to have people listening to them. They like to have people respect them. They like to have people look up to them. And they become leaders because they want that experience. Uh, We're told in uh, 3 John of a man called Diotrephes and uh, John says that he loved to have the preeminence. He loved to be number one and that's a problem still today. Uh, I read a little limerick which goes like this Uh, and uh, it says, there is a pastor himself he cherished who loved his position, not his parish. So the more he preached, the less he reached. And this is why his parish perished. That's still true. Uh, Sadly, so many leaders uh, love their position more than they love the people they're called to serve. And more importantly, they love their position more than the gods whom they are called to serve. And Paul says, an elder must love what is good. They must love God first and foremost and love their church more than they love their own position. Uh, 
That leads us to the third and last uh, aspect of good character. And we can see this in verse 9. Uh, we've seen how a want-to-be elder uh, must have his family in order. He must have his emotions in order. He must have his desires in order. But look at verse 9. Paul says, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And this last aspect of good character is that an elder must have their words in order. Uh, A pastor, an elder, must believe and teach the truth faithfully and well. What that means is he must preach God's word. Um, Not necessarily what his hearers want him to say, not necessarily what he wants to say, but he should speak what God says. Uh, You might remember the Apostle Paul's words when he left Ephesus. Uh, He'd been uh, serving there for, I I think it was at least three years, perhaps more, And he had been um, preaching and teaching in the church at Ephesus for a long time. And his time came to leave and he left elders there in the church to continue the work of um, uh, leading and shepherding that church. And he said to them in his final address before he left them, he said to them, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul was clear what his mission was. His mission was to preach God's word. Not his own ideas, not his own opinions, not the latest fad that he had read, but to share God's word faithfully. Uh, If I can use the illustration from last week, uh, a leader's job, a pastor's job is to play the shepherd's pipe. Uh, Do you remember that illustration from last week about that shepherd boy who was redeeming his flock, which the government had um, essentially stolen from him? And he was mocked by the officer when he said he could choose his own sheep from the huge flock in front of him. Uh, But then he brought out his little pipe and he played a note on his shepherd's pipe and immediately the sheep came out his own sheep and that's what a pastor's job is to do is to preach God's word and Christ's sheep will hear and Christ's sheep will go uh, will grow Christ's sheep will be fed and if a leader does that he has accomplished what the task he's been given by God to declare the whole counsel of God. So I've had to whiz through quite quickly these instructions that Paul gave to Titus and I'm sure there's things I've missed out and there are many other things that could be said there. But the uh, main point is clear. Paul says that churches must be led by men of good character, men who have their families in order, men who have their emotions in order, in order, men who have their desires in order, and last of all, men who have their words in order. And let's be praying that 
this church and all churches would be led by such men. And with that thought in mind, let's sing our final hymn. And it's again, it's another hymn about the church, uh, but it's good uh, while we've been spending a lot of time uh, focusing on the human leaders of God's church, uh, the human elders. Uh, It's good to remind ourselves that they are not the true foundation of God's church. They are not the church's true leader. They are under shepherds, under the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And this final hymn um, reminds us clearly of that truth. 343, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he brought her and for her life he died. So we'll close by singing 343.